Welcome to another segment of Market Overdrive. I am your host, Carlamina Cobo Banker with Cobo Banker. How are you, Javier? I'm doing good. I'm Javier Garcia with the Federal Savings Bank, NMLS 217343. How's everyone doing today? Doing great. It's a great day. Beautiful day out there. It's a beautiful day. It's nice and sunny. Driving into the city is definitely uh, worth the view. Finally, we get to wear a Daisy Dukes. (laughs) Let's go ahead and introduce our guest this morning, Javier. Absolutely. So today we actually got a couple guests uh, here. They're going to go over a couple of uh, information in regards to tenant laws and you know things like that. Um, so with Datka Law Group, we got Mo Datka. Hi, I'm Mo Datka with the Datka Law Group and Main Street Real Estate Group. We forget that you're also a realtor. I am. It's a little bit of everything. <laughs> so you're a broker owner of Main Street. I am. So, some people think of me as a realtor. Some people <laughs> as an attorney. And most of those people don't know I'm also the other thing as well. You're everything. He's I love it. So you were originally an attorney and then you decided to get your real estate license and then open up your brokerage, correct? I did. I got out of law school in 2009. So the job offers were tough in 2009. <laughs> so I actually got a real estate license to make ends meet. And then one thing led to another. And so you went boss. Office. You couldn't get a job from another boss. So you became a boss. I did. Love I did. it. Good play in life. And uh, let's introduce Lauren, who's here to school us and give us some truth on what it's like to manage properties. Yeah. So my name is Lauren Hunman. I'm a property manager and general manager of Owl Management. And I have a pretty similar story, actually. I started off working for a developer, and in about uh, 2010, that developer went under and decided to get into the property management world. Uh, and everyone thinks I'm a little bit crazy for doing that, but I love it. I love the craziness. Property <laughs> management. I love how we teased it on social media. So we were like, okay, so you're going through these applications, or you know, you're going through your app, and you forgot to swipe left, right? And you accepted this crazy person. And sometimes tenants know more about the tenant landlord ordinance than we do or the landlords do. So today we decided to talk about this. And it's not that we're like biased on market overdrive, right? Because we're always like saying no to renting. And then, you know, like now we're saying bad tenants. Um, But I think it's all it's very important for people as they start looking at how much wealth you can accrue with being a landlord that you at least know your rights because you can get in a really, really bad situation if you don't screen your tenants. Correct. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right into it since, um, you know, we need to get out and go out there and uh, sell some real estate. Um, let's, why don't we start with our first topic, which should be tenant screening. Um, you want to start with that, Lauren? Sure. Yeah. And generally, as Carlos said, knowledge is power when you're, when you're a landlord and you're an investor. You never want to be in a situation where your tenant knows more about the law than you do. Um, the more you can know about, you know, your local ordinances here, it's the Chicago Landlord Tenant Ordinance, the better off you are with tenants. Uh, and also knowing as much as you can about a tenant before you accept them as a tenant. Um, so screening is super important. And a lot of people, um, you know, they meet someone on site, they're doing it themselves, and they're like, oh, they seem really nice. This is going to work out great. And they don't actually do a credit check or a background check. And that's the tenant who ends up playing the system and they lose $10,000 because that tenant stops paying rent and they can't evict them. So we're really big. We do credit checks. We do background checks. We check landlord references. Uh, we verify employment. So you're getting you know pay stubs or a letter of employment if it's a new job for someone. Um, and doing a very thorough check on any tenants before they come in. And the other thing that's important is, you know, not just take you. So you did all these checks and their credit's like 500. But you're like, oh, they seemed really nice on site. I'm going to take them anyways. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. They were so sweet. They're going through like a really terrible situation. Now they need to move. Why don't you house them? And it's like, uh, this is not a soup kitchen, not to be rude. But it's an investment, right? Because you're still being held responsible or liable by your mortgage company. You have to pay that mortgage. And if that tenant doesn't pay you rent, then you're kind of, you know, in a bad situation. Mo, what do you advise to people who are looking to, you know, become landlords? Exactly what Lauren said. In the they were a nice person thing pops up all the time. Every time we get somebody calling who says, hey, I got a tenant who's not paying or you know, who's giving me a hard time, I'll always ask them, did you do a credit check? Did you a ba- do a background check? Because even if we go through the whole process, and we'll get into it a little bit later, if we go through the whole process and we win and we get a judgment, so we win a judgment, uh, that judgment's worth the sheet of paper it's printed on. A judgment is just a sheet of paper that uh, says you won X amount of dollars if you can't collect on that judgment. So you have to know who your tenant is. And a lot of times when we run into these situations where somebody's having an issue with their tenant, they didn't do a background check, they didn't do a credit check, and they say, hey, they were just a really nice guy and I took them up front because they were a nice guy. Move along six, seven months and they're not so much of a nice guy anymore and you're in a landlord-tenant dispute. So definitely mitigating those problems up front makes a huge difference. And 
hiring somebody who knows what they're doing, like a Lauren, who can take a look at a tenant and let you know they're a safe tenant or as safe as they can be to occupy your premises. That's great information. Like Thank them. you. Do you have any experience with being a landlord? Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, I probably one of the main things that I always recommend, obviously, as a lender, we always look at, you know, qualifying ratios for when any anytime someone's looking to buy. So number one, credit is definitely the number one priority that I always tell everyone they have to screen the person's first credit. Um, I always say that you also want to have some form of a reference in regards to the previous rental history, uh, because in certain cases, you might have someone who maybe doesn't make their payment until the 15th of the month or the 20th of the month. You want to get some form of landlord verification or something, some sort, some form of a reference so that that way you can at least verify that, you know, they are um, on paying their rent on time and everything else. And then I probably would say the third thing that people should also consider is the kind of renter that they, they want to have in their property as well. You know, in certain cases, you might be desperate for a renter. And if you take on maybe three college kids that are all going to be rooming together, well, you're going to have three college kids living in that property. Maybe they do pan out with credit and background check and everything else. But now you got three frat boys that are going to be living in the property. And now you're going to have to deal with that frat boy lifestyle. So you also have to consider. I on that. Can you discriminate on that, Lauren? You can't just say, I don't want frat boys. Well, you also you have to consider who you have. You can say you don't want people with no credit, yeah. um, which oftentimes is <laughs> a limited scholarship. Like, we right. do have so your to take it where we students. can't do that. No, well, it's just one of those situations where well, you it's, have like, to take into it's consideration the expectations. The you also have to take into your other tenants, though. Maybe let's say you have a three-unit property or four-unit okay. property, and you have two families in two of those units, and then all of a sudden you put, you know, like that badge, you know, black sheep of a tenant or something in the property, you also have to consider that. So it's always about, you know, do you align in regards to personalities and everything else? Because you are going to be dealing with these people. They're cohabitating the property that you own. Um, so background check, employment history, you know, references in regards to previous rental history with previous landlords, and then just making sure that that personality trait and everything else lines up as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where Lauren and, and Mo, this is where you guys come in with a lot of like the litigation issues of it or, you know, ethics, um, discrimination issues. If there's like a really fine line when it comes to practicing real estate, right? As real estate professionals, we are governed by more guidelines than you would be because this is your, your property and you own it. But you still need to be very careful with, you know, discrimination issues. Like you can't discriminate with families with children. And you, you can't say, I can't take somebody just because they have too many kids and that's going to be more wear and tear on the property. Or like Javier said, frat boys, you have to have the same guidelines for everybody and applies for everybody and then you have to basic you know base your application on credit score just like a lender would right so when you're underwriting a loan you're looking at debt to income ratios um, and you're looking and looking at that credit score because that's going to be a great indicator of whether this person is going to repay you and at the end of the day this is a business for you so um, you want to make sure that you're able to collect those rents and that you're able to maintain that relationship long term I always collect also previous landlord verifications and that's uh, it goes a long way to have a conversation with with that previous landlord, find out if that person a paid um, you know the rent on time. If you got a lot of issues with noise because they weren't disrespectful to someone else, and again run it as a business. I always issue a landlord um, like a handbook uh, for the tenant, so we call it a tenant handbook, which stipulates the guidelines. Right, rent is due in the first of the month, whether you're here or abroad. Um, you need to make sure that you carry you know renters insurance, and so you you indicate how the relationship is going to go, so there it's no questions during the process. Because again, this is a long term relationship relationship a year or two years from some people and it's really difficult to get out of it you know to get out that contract so you got to make sure that you stipulate everything up front what do you think do you agree with that Lauren? yeah i mean our lease is one of the longest i've ever seen actually uh we're really big on that and setting expectations <laughs> it's like a closing statement <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, so yeah our lease has everything from you know if you're smoking in the unit this is what happens if you don't pick up after your dog this is what happens uh to really try to set those, those expectations and have fines in place um, so that you can actually penalize a tenant if they don't pick up after their dog or if they are smoking in the unit and they shouldn't be so that you have some options to kind of control the situation other than just going straight to eviction. Not to take business away from you. But nope. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, today it's all about taking business away from Mo. You don't want it to get to Mo, right? We, we don't want to have to go through an eviction process. I know, it's we, Almost every client that calls us about an eviction situation, we urge them to conflict resolve before we have to get there. And that's really important to know because if I go through an eviction process and I have a landlord who's done everything right and there's no Chicago RLTO violation at all, which would make things a lot more difficult, but let's say there's not. Let's say they <laughs> hired a property manager, they did everything right, but they have to get a tenant out and we go through an eviction process. 
if we go through that whole process and win, in Cook County at least, when you win a judgment, you get an order of possession. You have to wait one week before you take that order of possession to a sheriff so that that sheriff can evict your tenant. The Cook County Sheriff throughout the years, anywhere from six weeks to 12 weeks backlog. So you've gone through a whole case. You've won. You've got an order of possession. You want your tenant out. Your tenant can still wait there six weeks to 12 weeks. Without paying rent. Without paying rent. And And now they're angry. You've won a lawsuit against them and you're kicking them out. They're they're angry. Um, They can destroy the property. I've had a couple situations where during the process of the tenant waiting, to get evicted, they've destroyed the property. <laughs> right. I would so, literally cry every day. Like, oh. yeah. It actually happened to my dad. My dad, we, my, my dad was I love all your like, dad stories, dude. He, he said, <laughs> you're an attorney. Go get him dad. out. And I said, okay, I'll go get him out. I said, but I suggest you do a cash for keys type situation. He said, no, they haven't paid me. I'm not going to give him cash. Which <laughs> Because you get entitled. You get emotional. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, ah, it it's, a lot. I've been wrong, right? And that feeling of being wrong gets, gets the best out of you. And so you want to prove a point. So you're Absolutely. like, no, it's cash for keys. No way i'm not gonna give them money <laughs> right? on top of the fact that they haven't paid me mortgage i mean rent for six months especially when his uh, son was an attorney and that was free but it turned out in the <laughs> yeah. end that it didn't make a lot of business sense so we said this is a business relationship so it has to make business sense took a couple months to get them out once i got them out they destroyed the property well oh. go back to what i said about a judgment I went back and I got another property damage judgment against them, but I can't collect. When I went to go collect on that judgment, uh-huh. I froze a bank account that had $7 in it. Oh so yeah. Yeah. it would have made a lot of business sense for him to upfront cash for keys this person instead of go through the process, get them upset with the fact that I evicted them, and then they still have 6 to 12 weeks. And a tenant can call the Cook County Sheriff and say, hey, Cook County Sheriff, how long is the wait time right now for evictions? And they'll tell them. So they, a savvy tenant will know that and will we'll work the system as best they can. Wow. Wait, so like I have a craziest this story. Is We're like going to one up everybody today, right? <laughs> Let me one up your dad's story. So, you know, during the recession, we, um, I had a client who bought this property as a short sale. So she bought the property and in the property there was a tenant who hadn't paid rent. So the tenant said, fine, I'm moving out. There's a new landlord. I'm not going to deal with this. So the person that helped that tenant move out kept the keys to the property and yeah. stayed in the property, yeah. had a mattress and a refrigerator and a gallon of milk, like, you know, in, in the refrigerator. My client called the police and she basically said there's somebody who's in the property that doesn't belong there because the other tenant was like, I'm out, you know, I'm gone here, your keys. And he'd returned the keys. So she went and opened the door and there's this person that she didn't even know. So she called the police. The police got this guy out and kicked the guy out. Supposedly the guy went to the hospital. So he put a lawsuit against my client. And the police, you know, like department, and then he had squatter rights. He yeah. was able to yeah, stay get, in that property for six months. My client spent over $28,000 in like attorney fees and she still wasn't able to collect any rents. And then the, uh, she was part of a lawsuit, the police station. I mean, I was brought in to testify. I'm like, wait, wait, why am I being involved? <laughs> Someone broke into a house and squat. No, wait. like the friend who helped the guy move the out kept the keys. Yeah. And then the attorney said, the judge said, well, they have squatter rights. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's like crazy. Like you have to know your rights, and it, it and it's like uh, there are crazy attorneys. I'm not saying you're one of them, obviously. <laughs> a little crazy, <laughs> but most attorneys are crazy. No, but yeah. there there are attorneys out there who make a living out of suing landlords, and Absolutely. you know, yeah. like I don't even think the tenant got any money out of it. He pretty much just got to live there for free. But the person who got the money was actually the attorney, so, and they prey on people. So what happens now is a lot of tenant rights attorneys. They I, I call, and, and I'm gonna probably get hate mail. After I say this, <laughs> I call some tenants' rights attorneys the ambulance chasers of the real estate world because they'll take a $200 or $300 fee from the tenant. And because the RLTO allows you to collect your attorney fees if you win on the RLTO, they'll go after the landlord if they have any small RLTO claim. And if they win a small claim, they can still get their attorney fees. And they know the landlord has some money because they have a property. And they'll go after the landlord for the attorney fees. But it gives a tenant almost no risk because they're like, okay, I have a $200 attorney fee. I'll risk it for 200 bucks. They have nothing to lose. And the attorney say, I'm going to get my attorney fee eventually at the end from the landlord. So it's opened a floodgate of a lot of attorneys 
attorneys who will take these cases for a few hundred dollars. Now, if these cases were $2,000, a landlord or a tenant would think twice about going after their landlord. But when it's a couple hundred dollars, they'll right. run that risk yeah. and say, hey, you know what? Let's roll the dice and see what happens. That is insane. And of course, right, this, this particular situation had nothing to do with my client screening and doing her due diligence, but it's just to show you that there are attorneys out there that are willing to represent your tenants and they know the system. They work the system. And yeah. so you have to know your rights. That way you, you know, you protect yourself against the situation. So, so I have a question uh, just because we we're talking about like, you know, different things, but like in the screening process, I always say that a big percentage of the renting market are people who are un- unable to buy. You know, there's restrictions as to why they're unable to buy. How do you screen for someone who just maybe recently went through a bankruptcy or maybe just recently had a shortcoming with a foreclosure and their only option is to rent? Like, what kind of screening process are we doing for those kind of individuals? Same thing. You know, and you brought up a good word earlier. You said, you know, an owner's feeling desperate. You know, they've had a property that's been vacant for two months and they're really looking for money. Still don't take them. You don't have to take the guy that's had the bankruptcy. You know, there's lots of other tenants out there. If your place is in good shape and it shows well, uh, just like in the sales world, you know, there's other options. There's other tenants. And it's worth the wait to wait for that good tenant. Um, There's some other landlord out there who probably doesn't screen as well or doesn't care. And, you know, there's always a place for everyone. um, But it doesn't have to be your place. Yeah. Again, run it like a business, right? And make sure that you take the best uh, tenants so that you can avoid these issues. Um, In the past, when the market was kind of slower, we had this issue with Session, right? Everybody lost their properties. And so you had people who were renting, but they did have bankruptcies and foreclosures in their records. We used to ask for six months of prepaid rents, not security deposits, um, but prepaid rents, because that way they are able to live out and we had no issues with collecting rent. Sometimes it's just, you know, financial hardships and you have to deal with what's happening in the market. Now, I don't see this happening anymore. You know, people are mostly working on uh, improving their credits. But if you are in that situation, make sure you protect yourself and collect higher rents or, or prepay rents. Or get a cosigner. So, you know, a cosigner is equal in liability sense to the person on the lease when it comes to the law. So if you are going to be that nice guy who takes somebody, and, and I agree with Lauren, don't feel bad. I'm a nice guy, but I tell my clients all the time, don't feel bad when you're dealing with a business relationship here. Right. But if you're inclined to do it, get somebody who has a really good credit score as a cosigner. So if mom or dad or uncle um, has a great credit score, get somebody to cosign. So you have somebody on the on the lease who also has good credit that you can go after if you have to go after somebody. Okay. Go after somebody. I know I had to call you to go after I like somebody. That. No, I listen, we <laughs> are turning like, on the panel. We like, don't like going after got to go after someone. Go after them. <laughs> we turn down so much landlord-tenant eviction business mm-hmm. because we conflict resolve. We honestly tell people the best thing you can do is conflict resolve. Do what you can to not end up in court makes because a lot of, of sense. that process. Conflict yeah. resolve. I like that same. term. That's, we're going to hashtag and coin that. But I had a client <laughs> where the property got gutted. Resolve. Like literally the tenant gutted the property. They <laughs> took everything. The like literally they I took everything. They took Pictures, they took oh, yeah, they literally that? everything. And then you got to assume it's small claims court, or whatever. Yeah, again, I you would can, die. You can win. You can win suits against them. But again, if you win a lawsuit, they give you a sheet of paper that says you just won X amount of dollars. Great, you got a sheet of paper that says you won X amount of dollars. Now go collect it. The collection process is a different step. And if they don't have anything for you to collect from, you're in a little bit of trouble. You just have a cute sheet of paper that says you paper that And says you, you see, this is why like, I love Section 8 tenants because that's an automatic deposit into a bank account and you don't have to chase anybody for your money. So, you know, and of course, there's different guidelines for a Section 8 tenant, um, not a market <laughs> tenant, but, you know, you still protect making sure you're getting your money. I, I have horror stories. I mean, once I had to file a restraining order against a tenant, like seriously, oh, no, it no. is crazy. <laughs> like, that's why I think this topic is really important because <laughs> I seriously did. Um, restraining orders. Restraining orders. They refused to pay, you know, like, and so I came. They are like, yeah, we're going to give you the keys. And then I show up with my brother to pick up the keys. I'm like, I'm like five, seven. Okay, five, zero. Um, and I show up to collect the keys. And there's like five people there. And they're just waiting for me. And they seriously jumped my brother and I. We had to run, and wow. I had to, like, seriously go and file restraining order. We were so scared. I had to sell that property. I was, like, done. Who would jump was- Carla? Like, literally. <laughs> like, uh, you don't understand. It was horrible. Gotta be a degenerate. This was, like, pre, you know, kids and marriage and all that jazz. <laughs> That's when I was like, yeah, where's my rent? I want my rent. But, like, again, conflict resolution. It's, like, the best way to go. So thank you guys for sharing your best practices for screening tenants. Obviously, this is a one-hour show, so we can't get into the ins and out of everything. Um, we do recommend that, obviously, you always align yourself with an expert and that you know your rules so that you can avoid these situations. Um, 
the biggest, biggest no-no, and I think the scariest part of being a landlord, and a lot of people take this, you know, like for granted, is the security deposit. Lauren, what are you? What is your advice on that? Don't take them. Really? <laughs> I want my money. Yeah, no, don't take it that way. Um, so Chicago Association of Realtors actually came out a couple of years ago and is formally advising not to take security deposits either. Um, and so our management has followed suit there, and we advise and won't even take on clients now that have security deposits or that want to do security deposits. I know it's a concept that's been around forever, and there's actually you know nationwide they're still used pretty you know widely, but in Chicago we're advising non-refundable administrative uh, move-in fees now instead. Uh, Wait a minute. So after they move out, I can't find them. They've moved out. They gave me their forwarding address for me to send a security deposit. But what if there's like, you know, damages that are beyond wear and tear and they've destroyed everything and plus they're going to owe me more than the security deposit. You mean I now have to go call Mo so I can get my money? So no for, to security deposits? Uh, that I makes agree, me nervous. I, I agree with Lauren in Chicago. And, and here's the reason why. The landlord-tenant ordinance if you've mishandled security deposits, allows the tenant to get two times the security deposit plus those attorney fees. When I say mishandled, there's a lot of steps you have to take with a security deposit, and it's very easy to mishandle. And it's what we call in law strict liability. So if you goof up any of those steps, and I won't go through all of them because there are a lot of them, then Another two hours. Just the way you talk makes me dizzy and scared. I'm You'll having an anxiety attack right so, now because he's using all these terms. Yeah, like I know. Liabilities. Seriously. <laughs> I'm in court. So basically, and I've done something if you wrong. Goof, in layman's terms, if you goof up any of it, you're in big trouble. Okay. So you're liable to two times the security deposit plus the attorney fees. So Lauren made a good point. Take a Twice the security deposit amount. Take take a moving fee. Because again, Carla, you just mentioned what happens if I get to the end of the lease and they've done some damages above and beyond my security deposit. Well, good luck getting them to pay that. Again, they're going to say, I'm not not paying you. So you're stuck anyways. So you got to weigh your pluses and minuses there. Do you want to take the risk of potentially being liable for two times the security deposit and attorney fees? Or is it better to take your uh, move-in fee and have that mitigate your damages? Because what's your security deposit? Maybe 1500 bucks. What can that get you? One month's rent. What, what is that? Yeah, one month's rent. What yeah. is that going to get you? P- maybe paint? Right. Because once you damage floor, you can't just clean that spot or fix that hardwood right. floor in that corner. You have to redo the entire floor right. or area. A great example. We had a tenant uh, in our earlier days when we still did deposits that had a deposit. And, you know, we're a management company, so we would follow the deposit law very carefully and, and follow all those steps. And we get that argument a lot. You know, you're a management company. Why can't you just take the deposit and handle it properly? So we installed brand new carpet in this apartment and the tenants move out. They live there one year and the carpet is a new color. You know, it's black and oh. blues and <laughs> etc. Uh, and it's not even attached to the ground in some places anymore. Uh, we attempt to clean it. One year of residency? One year. Attempt to clean wow. it. Can't get it clean. And so we're like, we're going to replace it. Javier's frat boys moved in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we charge them for the replacement of the carpet uh, and do it the proper way with all the invoicing and everything. And they get an attorney involved, and the attorney is arguing it's normal wear and tear. Wow. So even when you know we had pictures <laughs> of before and after of the carpet and we had done everything right with the deposit, uh, you still have a fight, you know, and they're still getting attorneys involved. And it's never worth, you know, he hasn't mentioned yet all those attorney fees that you have to deal with. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, to, <laughs> he for says that it with a straight face. Hey, I know what I'm worth. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to have an attorney friend. <laughs> she, she's absolutely right. If you're going to take a security deposit in Chicago, if you're outside of Chicago, this this. Landlord-tenant ordinance doesn't apply, although a lot of collar cities are now mirroring the Chicago landlord-tenant ordinance. So you have okay. to, even if you're outside of Chicago, read up on what's ones. happening. There's yeah. some tough ones. Uh, Evanston's tough. There's a lot of tough collar cities that kind of mimic the landlord-tenant ordinance. But, yes, you know, at the end of it, if they go and hire an attorney, you have to hire an attorney. So right. it's... It and wait, before you sense. go into them hiring an attorney, they can call 311 and go through the tenant dispute hotline and they can basically turn in a landlord and they can get legal service, free legal services. And yeah. so they get represented for free and then they get you for twice the security deposit plus legal fees. So it's not really a landlord, like landlord state, as they say, right? City. 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 Definitely not a landlord city. city. And and if you're going to take a security deposit, read the landlord-tenant ordinance. It's boring. If you can't fall asleep, one night read it, it'll put you to sleep. But (laughs) if you're going to have 
a tenant and you want to take a security deposit, either hire a property manager who knows what they're doing, with or, an attorney. Deposit, <laughs> or an attorney, or an attorney. I love it. how these now, two are, are doing it. To how, how much you can charge, like that administration move-in fee or anything like that? Do you have any limitations as to what you can actually charge up front? Most of the law is the reasonableness standard. Now, in $15,000. talk to this. <laughs> if you charge too much, they're probably not going to, to rent right. your place. They'll go somewhere else. So you got to keep it reasonable. Okay. Yeah, we've done, because we do some high-end single-family homes where it gets kind of complicated. You know, someone's paying $10,000 a month in rent. Uh, you know, a $300 move-in fee doesn't really seem fair. Can you give them my card and say they should buy something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like $10,000. $10,000 rent? Like, um, yeah, a lot of times they're like building something or they're here short term for international work. It's I got really you, Lauren. She says. Yeah. <laughs> you got to like break my heart all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll do up to 20% of one month's rent uh, wow. as a moving fee on those type of properties. Okay. And it's really been amazing, you know, from every property, from the $1,200 a month property to the $10,000 a month property, how little kickback we're getting on the move-in fees because okay. it is less money. You know, when you're paying first month's rent and a full month's rent deposit up front, that's a lot of cash uh, for tenants. And so they kind of appreciate that the move-in fee is less cash up front. Yeah, no. And I used to remember a lot of people, I remember I had a couple clients that were t- uh, landlords and a lot of tenants sometimes use that security deposit as like their last month's rent or something like that where the, they just didn't pay they, the last month's rent yeah. and said so you could just keep the security deposit. So sometimes it actually ended up coming back. And Wait, back I heard you can't do that, right? You can't use the security deposit as last month's rent and also you have to maintain that amount in an commingling account and so you have to replenish that so you can't really use that for rent so one of the things is when you get a security one of the rules is when you get a security deposit it has to go in a separate interest bearing account it can't be commingled with the rent checks and it has so i can't to go shopping there. with that money you cannot no. go shopping with it. no purses with the uh, security deposit money. Um, purses and, i'm talking about trips like oh i got an extra 1500 <laughs> there's, there's a lot of rules and regulations so you just you, read the landlord tenant ordinance or hire somebody who can who can give you the steps but they it does have to be in a separate interest bearing account and you have to pay interest out at the end of the year that's a very commonly missed step the interest? somebody will just yeah. return so wait, the security the interest, deposit but not the interest like so a five actually, cent check you have really? to mail out it's yeah. seriously like nothing like the it's percentage nothing. that you're going to give them cool. but just yeah. missing that right missing that you're liable under the landlord tenant ordinance or just missing the address of where you're going to hold this uh, the bank the security address. deposit you have to beg so you have to make sure that you have a lease that includes all this stuff because if it doesn't you're breaking rules and then you know you try to sue this person because they're moved out or you know they broke their lease you can't because you broke the rule first. So again, you have to align yourself with somebody who knows what they're doing and make sure that you do it upfront um, versus later because then you know once you're later, you're probably in litigation. Um, one of the things that I recommend is also doing the move-in inspection, right? I'm sure you do that. Yep. Um, yep. In the form of a video also because sometimes we forget and I like to tell people like, listen, we're your leasing agents now, but we may not be your leasing agents when you move out. And so you have to make sure that you protect yourself as a tenant and go through the, you know, the, the property, inspect it. And then as a <coughs> landlord we issue a move-in um move-in inspection sheet and also a move out list of like the costs associated with any repairs or any damages that way you are having these conversations up front and so even for cleaning services we're like okay it's going to cost you like 50 bucks an hour is it really going to cost 50 bucks an hour maybe not but this is to you know make you not do it because you're going to get into these situations where tenants leave this dirty kitchen dirty stove and then you're having to deal with it later what do you do, uh, Lauren? Yeah, we do move in and move out inspections. Um, it's become a little less relevant if you don't have deposits, um, just because you have that move in fee, and you know usually it's at least three hundred dollars, and that's covering your cleaning and some painting touch ups. Um, so you have you can be a little less specific about these are the charges for certain things because that's the idea of the move in fee, right. which kind of makes your life easier too in that sense. It's great, um, but we do the move you know we do the inspections because if there is damage beyond the move in fee, our lease still says that they're responsible for that damage. You know, we had a someone who had a puppy who decided to chew up all the baseboards in a unit and the move in fee wasn't going to cover that. And, you know, it was well screened tenants. So they were good tenants who actually paid to, you know, get that damage fixed. But that's why those inspections are important. And it also helps make sure the unit's in good shape for the next tenant because you want to set the, you know, a good expectation with the next tenant, too. Great. Lots of information. Like it's uh, kind of scary. Security deposits, <clears throat> I'm joking around, but yeah, mostly we always recommend as well not to take them. Um, I know people get like, I just want to be certain that nothing's going to happen. I want to collect my rent and I want to do prepay rent and I want to do last month's rent. I mean, there's no way you could protect yourself. You also have to be fair with your tenants. Obviously, you're going to run out of tenants. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and I said we all kind of sound like the Grim Reaper right now. But <laughs> we are because we've been through it. Nine out of ten times, you're going to have a great tenant that's not going to destroy anything. And, and if you are upfront with them and have done your due diligence and done your credit check and done your background check, nine out of ten times, nothing's going to go wrong. But you have to prepare yourself in case something does go wrong. So. In my last situation, selling a property in Logan Square, uh, my client, it's like, well, they're my friends. And, you know, I never thought to do this because, you know, they're friends. And then we were trying to sell the property. We had no access to the property. It was just a crazy relationship. So initially, it always starts great. You're always best friends. But towards the end, you want to avoid, you know, we want to have it all in writing. And you want to make sure that you're knowledgeable about this landlord tenant owner summary and read it. especially if this is their first time. And, you know, what we initially started thinking about the show as we're getting a lot of people selling now and and they're relocating and some people just decide they don't want to sell it because there's not enough equity in the property and they're relocating because of jobs. Um, so they, or some people are just going to move into another property because they need a larger space. And so they're, you know, they're made to become a landlord and sometimes they never wanted to be a landlord. This is just a situation that kind of fell in their lap. So this is, um, this show is for you. We want to make sure that you are prepared and that you, Again, align yourself with experts. Um, so after security deposit, I think the biggest overall above uh, security deposits, it's the lack of payment. Like, how do you go around collecting your rent once they just decided they're not going to pay your rent? Yeah, well, we talked a little bit earlier. We both love cash for keys. <laughs> we love to avoid that eviction process whenever possible um, because the length of the actual court process, the length of waiting for the sheriff, and then also paying those attorneys. Um, and so we both agreed on recommending to try to negotiate something with the tenant uh, to get them move out, sign an agreement, and hand you keys. And that may mean cash for keys, paying cash them $500, and like even that. though you really don't want to because they owe that. you, you know. $5,000? It's, it's a <laughs> so tough righteous. pill to swallow. Every time I suggest it on the phone when somebody calls me when, I, when I'm like, an attorney on one of these. Especially like, your they dad. They didn't pay me. It, my dad was the most extreme version of that. They didn't pay me, and you want me to give them money to leave? And then we break down the business decision of it. Well, they're, if they're not paying you now, the next couple months in litigation, they're not going to pay you, but you're still paying me to go after them. And then once I win, if they have no counterclaims and you've done nothing wrong, you still have to wait for the sheriff to evict your person. So you could be relisting this place and getting rent every single month instead of just waiting while somebody's not paying you rent and occupying your place. Right. It, it is a tough pill to swallow, but it is my suggestion always the first step is to do that. We also spoke about potentially sending a five-day notice. So if somebody stops paying, you can send them a five-day notice to make a payment or that you're going to terminate their lease. It's the five-day notice is the term of art for so it. Here, Sometimes this is where that it scares gets like, people. Yeah, yeah, this is where it gets like really complicated, right? Because a lot of landlords, you know, you're busy, you're taking care of your family, so you're forgetting about this property and you know your tenant hasn't paid you. And so they're waiting one month and they're like, oh, we're going to pay you next month. And they wait the second month. And then you get like really emotional. You're like, okay, I'm going to avoid eviction because <laughs> my attorney and my realtor told us to avoid eviction as much as possible. So we're going to let them write out another three months. But then, you know, eventually they're like, okay, enough is enough. We're fourth month and no, no rent. We're going to issue that five-day notice, right? And the tenant gives you the, te- the, the maybe gives you one month of the rent and says still owes you. I would not, if, if they're not paying the whole amount of rent, I wouldn't accept it. Now, one of the things I always tell people is if you reach out to them after the five-day notice and tell them, listen, I want to make this work. I want you know, you to leave and me to be able to rent this place out. Let's figure something out. Conflict resolved. That typically works because you got to tell them the other option is if you're not going to do that and I have to file suit, I'm going to keep going. I always tell people this when I call them, I'll call a tenant on behalf of my clients sometimes and come from a place of conflict resolution. Hey, tenant, I've been hired to evict you. I don't want to have to do that. (laughs) Yeah, in a sense, I don't want to have to do that to you. But if I'm forced to go through that process, I'm going to go for it the whole way. Once I get a judgment against you, I can freeze your accounts. I can, you know, it's going to go against your credit. You can. So once you have a judgment, you do what's called a citation to discover assets. You can freeze accounts and stuff. So I let them know Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that stuff to you. So let's conflict resolve. And a lot of times that gets them thinking, well. Yes, I have tenant rights, but I also don't want to have to go through this process where I've been sued and somebody has a judgment against me. Because a judgment, even if you don't collect on it, and I was saying before it's worth a sheet of paper it's written on, it accrues at 9% interest, statutory interest in in our state. So 
I let them know that. And then I bring it back with a, hey, but let's conflict resolve. I let them know what can happen to them if I sue them, but let's conflict resolve. Because again, the name of the game is conflict resolution because it makes good business sense. But at that point, they're warned. They know that you know they're what you're warned. talking about. And so they don't think that they're going to you know, yeah. want up right. the, the landlord. Lauren, I mean, how many properties do you manage now? Uh, we manage close to 800 units. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Busy. wow. That's a lot of relationships <laughs> to manage. 800 yeah. units. 800 yeah. units. Yeah. Well, that's throughout amazing. Chicago or just like, Chicago and Evanston now. Yeah. Chicago and Evanston. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're a busy girl. Yes. Yeah. So what would you say is kind of like the point of no return when you're like, okay, two Two months done, three months, no rent. At what point do you issue that five-day notice? Yeah, I was actually just going to tell you. You just said you waited four months before <laughs> going after a tenant. And it's another thing where they always have a story. You know, they're expecting their first child. They got laid off, but they're expecting that unemployment check. I, I could have a whole show on the stories that we've gotten from tenants and why they can't pay rent. Lori right. Tales. Like, <laughs> taxi Tales, you have your own tale. <laughs> yeah. But don't be that nice guy again. I mean, and it, it's not – I'm a nice person too, but uh, – <laughs> I, I promise. I'm really, really nice. So I'm really nice. <laughs> We're going to get so much hate mail. I'm a landlord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, um, you're but an it's attorney, a business, so. <laughs> you know. And if someone owed your business money, you wouldn't let it sit for four months. No, absolutely. Um, and the problem with letting it sit for four months is then, if you're starting the eviction at that point, serving them is hard. You have to actually hand them a piece of paper. You can't just slide it under a door. Um, and then the court process can take a while. And then waiting on the sheriff. Uh, so you could be at a year, you know, where you're not what? getting any rents if you wait four months before you start that process. Wow, that's um, scary. So we're after thirty days. Uh, and we evaluated a little bit where if the tenant has called us ahead of time, let us know what's happening. Let us know when we're going to be expecting it. That's usually a little bit different scenario than the tenant who's not picking up his phone, who's not responding to emails. Um, and, you know, this is the third time they've paid late or, you know, it's your past 30 days, your past 45 days. Uh, get moving on it right away. Wow, that's great advice. Because I know we get, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, clients who call in and say, "Well, you know, I took their 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 money, and at this point, you have to start again, right? Reissue because now that you've given them an opportunity to stay there for another thirty days, <laughs> just because you did collect that um, that rent, even if it was half rent, right? Even if it was a third of the rent amount, they're you know you because the five day notice is to initiate the eviction pr- process, right? So you issue a five day notice, and then you issue the thirty day. How does it go with with respect so, to notices? So typically you issue a five-day notice when there's non-payment. So okay. if there's non-payment, it's a five-day notice. Okay. Most of the time, if somebody's going to give a partial payment, I tell people don't accept that, continue forward. The Throughout the lawsuit itself, if you go to an eviction, you can do a motion to force them to continue to pay rent. Now, will they in practice continue to pay rent? Probably not. It's You'll get an order from the judge that says tenant has to keep paying rent throughout this process. So I tell them don't take a partial payment. Go through that. But chances are if somebody's behind two months, three months, and they give you a partial payment, mm-hmm. they're already underwater on rent. It's going to be very hard for them to catch up the full amount and then start making continuous timely payments. So my recommendation is if you're going to go forward with the actual eviction process – and you've done the five day and you're not going to conflict resolve, then don't take partial payments. Right. Okay. It's an emotional thing. And I mean, you run the numbers up front, so you know what their debt to income ratios are. You know how much debt they're carrying and whether they can go ahead and catch up or not, unless they're going to win or get a lump sum of money. You know, if they're unemployed for some time, you have to protect your assets, right? You have to protect your business and you have to run it like a business. Um, I, and, you know, we're, we're being like harsh because the process is very harsh. But at the beginning of the, you know, when you do the screening and you set up the relationship, I always bring in a basket, you know, a basket with wine and then some cleaning supplies. And we set the tone for what's going to be a great relationship moving forward, a great business relationship. I'm not there to become best friends with you because then they're going to be like, oh, Carla, guess what? You know, like I couldn't get paid or I didn't get child support money this month. Like I'm not, I'm being rude, but you know, (laughs) that's what happens. People have a lot of excuses and you can't call your mortgage company and say, hey, guess what? My tenant didn't pay me rent because, you know, that's not insurance. I've seen a lot of like rent loss coverage uh, policies and stuff like that, insurances. Is that something that you guys see on like the asset management side? Yeah, we're not seeing a lot of owners deal with those. And I think, you know, Chicago, again, is kind of a tough market for some of that to work. Um, okay. Just because of the way the landlord tenant ordinance is written. You do see it more nationwide, though. Yeah. Hey, walk me through this. I've never heard of that. So, like, I do lending in all 50 states. So I've noticed, like, a lot of the times when I'm doing, like, investment property refinances or, you know, purchases <clears throat> like that, some insurance companies will actually have rent loss coverage included in their insurance policy. So, in the event that they ever have a tenant where maybe the property is just vacant or maybe they're not receiving the rent, the insurance will actually cover a certain period. In certain cases, they have like a six-month policy to a 12-month policy maximum where they'll actually pay for the 
for the actual rent that they're not receiving. That sounds like a cold deal, right? Yeah, we see it like if there's like a fire or a flood and the tenant can't live there and you're losing rent because of that, that the insurance would cover it. But I've never seen a policy in Chicago where a tenant's not paying and the insurance is going to cover it. Um, There is eviction insurance, too, that I've seen on a nationwide basis. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen it in Chicago. In Chicago? Okay. Look at you, Javier. i got to look into it. But I know it's out there. I've definitely seen that. He's right. No, I've definitely seen that. But in practice, you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Um, Just because like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac actually made it, you know, one of the requirements for that to be on there for investment properties. Oh, really? For people to have the insurance? Yeah. Makes sense. But I just got to take a look at the city of Chicago. Maybe there's specific ordinances that... Well, going back to what we said earlier about, you know, people being uh, having to get stuck with that landlord role, maybe that you didn't ask for it. Maybe you didn't buy it just to become a landlord or maybe you're buying a property and we've been advising you to rent out the second unit, you know, and then help uh, subsidize that mortgage payment. This is the information that you want to take notes on. And obviously you can reach our guests um, and email us at info at marketoverdrive.com. Towards the end of the show, we are going to um, give you their contact information so you can call them directly. Um, But so take it to the next level right like what how do you handle a sale like if you're decided you know what enough is enough i'm done there is some equity in the property i want to sell my property like how do you handle that Lauren. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit too, but we you like to become friends with the tenants. Um, the realtor should want to become friends with the tenants. I said, do not become best friends with the tenants. <laughs> not best friends, but be nice. Uh, I mean, Play nice, Carla. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, because the realtor's going to want to get in there a lot for sure. And go hang out with you on the weekends, come over to your you know, barbecue party. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, but you also want it to show well, which is hard when there's a tenant in there and you have tenant furniture. And so we're one thing we're regularly telling tenants is hey, the sooner we get this under contract, the sooner we don't have to be in your apartment anymore. You know, those Saturday showings and open houses can stop. So they're incentivized to keep it clean, too, um, because they don't want you in there all the time. Uh, So it is a two-way street, and kind of reminding them of that pretty frequently helps. Um, You know, and when they're really frustrated, like, you know, I worked the night shift last night, and now you're doing an open house during the day. You know, we'll bring them a Starbucks gift card or some donuts to kind of thank you. I like you. You're nice. You're a good landlady. (laughs) Now, do those tenant rights, like, let's say that they have an open lease, right? And they maybe have three or four months remaining on that lease, and it's going to be a change of ownership. Um, Is there any differences with the change of ownership? open lease. What do you mean by that? Right. So, like, let's say you have a lease, you know, you have a property, it's fully leased, and now you're selling it to someone who's probably going to do a primary residence occupancy on one of those units or something like that. Do any of those restrictions regarding to that lease that they were tied to with the previous owner transfer over now to the new owner? Sure. Yes, they do. And if you're going to – are you saying somebody would occupy it then so you have to get the tenant out? Right. Oh, like to break the lease or terminate the lease? You would have to do something again to – make the tenant who's in there want to leave. So give them some sort of cash to be able to terminate the lease early because that lease for 12 months stays for 12 months. If you want to sell on month six, you can't just tell a tenant you got to Can they go. deny that? Can they say, I don't want to, I'm not going to move out. I'm not going to, you yeah. can't buy me out. Yeah. Shut up. Really? Yeah. If you yeah. sell it, you can't just say, Hey, listen, you got to go now. You get, you have stays. to keep them the, the whole stays. lease term. Now, what if there's only like 90 days remaining on that lease after I take ownership of that property? And let's say at that point in time, they don't want to vacate the property. So I, as a new owner, after the I still have to go through like the whole eviction yes. process yes. and everything yes. else as opposed to yes. just really. Okay. Now, Lauren said something uh, that I think is really wise. Build a nice relationship with them when you're about to list the property. I do the same thing when I'm a realtor. I'll take them a gift of some sort. I'll call them. I'll tell them, hey, listen, a realtor will always be accompanying somebody. I'll make them feel comfortable with the entire process so that they work with us. They'll do a 24-hour notice instead of a 48 because technically you have to give them 48 hours notice before you do a showing. But in practice in real estate, that's hard to do. We want 24 hours notice or sooner. So build a really good relationship with that tenant and let them know that you're going to respect their privacy and if there's a day that they're sick so i just had a situation where the tenant was great the whole time and said listen i came down with the flu next three days please cancel the showings i said no problem i didn't fight them on that and sure enough day three she said i'm feeling better if you still want to do any showings today so just build a good relationship with the person and it's going to make it a lot smoother smoother. for sure because once it gets to the other side where they're upset at you then it's hard to sell property as realtors and i know you're putting on your realtor hat hat right now it is so hard let me tell you like they won't let they won't give you access they can they can deny access right 
Well, you got to give them 48 hours notice. What so if they I give them 48 hour notice? If they are saying we don't want to do this, can they just say we're not going to do this? No. No, technically, technically no. no. But, but do you want a showing with someone blocking the door? Like... <laughs> <laughs> I have a good story. I had Please one do in a share condo. because yeah. I'm like embarrassed to tell mine. Like and it's a nightmare. He, he was just difficult. And what he would do is he would literally leave a trail of underwear in the hallway. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> He would have all of his dirty laundry. It's almost like he picked out underwear, and he would leave underwear all over the place. He, it's like he made a complete mess every time we went in there. And one time I came in, and he was just standing in his boxers in the kitchen and wouldn't leave. <laughs> and he let serious? us do the showing, but he just stood there in his boxers and stared at us, which Did is the most awkward thing. That is amazing. It's impossible to sell the place. Yeah. Did you so. sell it? Eventually. Right. There we go. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> this is ridiculous. But yeah, be, make it so that it's smooth. It's smooth sailing situation. If you irritate them, it's not that they can deny you access, but they can make things a little bit more difficult for you. It yeah, makes it difficult. Absolutely. And of course, ask your realtor, right? This is where we talk about real estate practices. Um, what is the best marketing strategy if you're going to be selling a property? I always go back to listing and pricing, right? It, you have to create value for that prospective buyer. So one way to create value is through pricing. Obviously, if the condition is not going to be in the best light because these tenants are going to keep the property dirty, um, then just price it right and then do like a one week in open house type of showing. But it's a, it's a strategy that you have to be very careful with because obviously no one wants to leave money on the table. Um, but it allows for a better relationship with the tenant. You understand everybody understands that you're going to have a one day open house, twelve to two, or maybe you'll do you know three nights of the week or three evenings because buyers you know look at properties in the evening. So you identify those key dates. That way you're not like an open call where you're basically saying okay every forty eight hours. So I always get house so we stipulate the dates of we're going to evenings and then one weekend so that I can do an open house. So we stipulate the dates of we're going to evenings and then one. On weekends, so that I can do an open house. So we stipulate the dates that we're going to be in the property. It makes it easier for other agents as well because now they know when they can schedule the, the showings. Um, unfortunately, you do have agents that are working with buyers who are coming from other states, and they're like, "We're only here for this weekend. We have to get in," and that kind of messes up the strategy because you can't access the property. You've already stipulated the dates. Uh, but going back to the initial strategy of pricing right and then doing that one day open house, it makes it for a better relationship. You get the property under contract, and then one thing that really concerns me though is the fact the appraisal, and then you're done. Um, the one thing that really concerns me, though, is the fact that if, you know, you have a tenant in place and they don't have to move out, even if you offer them to buy them out of their contract, that's, you know, that's conflicting for a lot of people who, you know, need to sell. And the next uh, buyer is going to want to occupy that property. Is there anything that they can do? R raise your offer to them. I mean, there's always a there's always a point where they're going to agree to to vacate. And what I like to tell uh, my clients is give them enough notice. So control your closing with your next buyer for maybe 60 days. So tell your tenant, hey, tenant, I'm going to work something out with you. We'll conflict resolve. We'll give you X amount of dollars, and I'll give you 60 days to get out of this lease. So you have 60 days to then go and find something else. So I'll give you notice that the sale's happening, and 60 days from there, I would ask that you move out. Don't make them move out in 30 days, and they're scrambling and trying to find a place last minute. But I feel like if you butter up the terms and make them a little bit better and more fair for them, they'll typically accept a reasonable solution. Now, if you agree to something of an offer like that, and let's say the 60 days are up, they are unable to find a place, and all of a sudden it just steamrolls into issues. Even if you have an agreement in place, you still have to go through the whole... At anytime you need to get... Let the, the easiest way to put it is anytime you need to get somebody out of your property, you're going you're through still going to have to go through it. So regardless yet. of what terms or agreements or anything yes. like that. So that's something that I, that's very important because I think that a lot of times some people like to cash for keys, right? You could essentially make an agreement with someone, hand over some money, and then all of a sudden if they change their mind – you hand the money when you get the keys. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like that. Like, yeah. Are we going Facebook like, Live? Yeah. Are we going to do a yeah. Facebook Live? Like, okay, everyone, look, here's literally, cash for it's, keys. It's literally. literally. And you're changing really. the locks as soon as you've got the keys, right? You yep. guys will change Is the that literally yeah. how that works? Crazy. Yeah. Keys equal possession. I like that. So you yes. want the keys. Yeah. Same time. You're we not giving like them a, a cash for like and a, then knocking on the door. make a reality show out of this. Seriously. All right, guys, we're ending our show now, and we need to wrap it up. Give us your best practices or best advice. Lauren, you want to go ahead first? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, 
hire an expert, whether that be an attorney or a property management company. Um, it's very hard, especially in the city of Chicago, to be a landlord on your own. Um, and if you are going to be a landlord on your own, read the laws carefully. Even meet with an attorney for an hour to learn some of the laws uh, before you start doing it on your own, just to protect yourself a lot. Cool. Mr. Moe. I agree. Just be a knowledgeable landlord. Hire somebody who's professional. We don't charge to talk to people to teach them what they should be doing. We don't charge for that. Mitigate the potential for issues. So do all the right stuff under the landlord-tenant ordinance. So if there is a situation where you do have to conflict resolved or evict, you're in a better standing than you would be if you've made a ton of mistakes. So do everything right up front so that if God forbid that one out of 10 situation happens where you have a bad tenant, you're in the best position you can be going forward. Awesome. You heard it on Market Overdrive. He's giving free legal advice. <laughs> call okay. in. Your first, converse, your first call is free. Um, but where can someone reach you, Mo? Where can someone reach me? Mm-hmm. Um, you can um, call us at the law firm, 312-224-1719. You can call me on my cell phone, 847-431-6222. I have my cell phone on me at all times. All of our clients get our cell phone numbers at oh, the firm. Oh, I know. So that's the, uh, that's the easiest way to reach me. That's You're awesome. on speed dial, Mo. You're on speed dial. Your <laughs> office is great, and we love you. We appreciate you. Thank and you so Tim much. as well. Tim, I know that you're at dentist appointment. Uh, you were handed Tim's an invitation, right. and love you said you, no to Carla. <laughs> said but no. you, brought, you sent us your very best. Um, again, say that number because I sort of interrupted it's, you. Uh, Eight four seven four three one sixty two twenty two. Thanks and for having us. Awesome. Of course, Miss Lauren, eight hundred units and county. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where can someone reach you? Obviously, you're very knowledgeable about the process. Yeah. So our management's at seven seven three eight one nine zero four four six, or you can also email us at info at owlmanagement.com. Love it, Javier. Any advice? Well, I learned not to take security deposits, that's for sure. You know, um, Definitely, I would say, take a look at some of the uh, tenancy ordinances, especially with the city of Chicago. Do your due diligence. Um, I would say the top three things for you to do when you're screening for a potential uh, tenant, pull credit, verify income, and get some form of references in regards to the previous landlord history or who they may have rented from. Um, Definitely, I would say, you know, one of those things with uh, renting at the end of the day, you know, the long-term goal is always going to be to own a home and to be able to purchase. But at some, per- some point in time, we have limitations in regards to down payment or maybe credit scores and things like that. So always keep that in mind that the long-term goal is to buy a home. But if you are going to be buying a home and you are going to be renting out, make sure you're doing your due diligence and know exactly the ins and outs of what you can and cannot do before you put yourself in a situation where you might be stuck in a 6- to 12-month litigation trying to get a tenant out of your property. And that's exactly what we're we want to avoid. And that's why here at Market Overdrive, we want to have topics to, uh, to elevate your real estate IQ. So if you have any questions about anything that's happening in your life, real estate related, give us a call or email us at info at marketoverdrive.com. And remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and no LinkedIn, right? <laughs> We're getting Snapchat. I think we need to get like with Snapchat? the times. Are yes, we? we have good. to. Lucero? We have we, ha- so we got oh, we Pinterest, have YouTube. We got it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm so old. I don't even know that we have Snap. So where is Nick? Officially, I'm done asking for Nick. Nick, I don't know. He's gonna be making like a pretty big splash when he gets back. I here, hope right? not. Oh, Are we gosh. gonna have like a, you know, like you, know, you build the momentum of no Nick and, stuff and it's been like, like kind of quiet, background. and all of a sudden he comes back and it's like, oh, craziness again. Anyway, officially we miss you, so hurry up. Hurry up, Nick. <laughs> Thank Amber you alert. again for watching and uh, hanging out with us again. Um, we're here live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. WBM Studios.